Today I want to talk to you out of Mark 4, uh, verse 35 through 41. Um, let's pray before we get started and then we'll jump right in. Jesus, we love you. We glorify your name. We ask that you would uh, be exalted in our hearts, that you, we would fall more in love with you, and that we would learn to trust you with everything. In the name of Jesus. Today I want to talk about uh, Jesus calming the storm. And uh, it's a really, it's an interesting passage because it's sandwiched in between uh, two other uh, kind of stories. Jesus has a confrontation with the Pharisees, and then he goes on a series of teachings where he's talking about the kingdom of God and the kingdom expanding and going forth. And then you have the the, uh, five or six verses where Jesus calms the storm. And then after that, uh, Jesus confronts the demoniac and exercises his dominion over, over the supernatural realm. And so in the midst of this, you have this story where Jesus invites, he tells the disciples, let's go to the next side. He invites them. Then as they're crossing, they confront the storm that's going to sink them. Now, at the beginning in Mark 1.17, Jesus invited the disciples to follow him. So he's talking, he sees Simon and Andrew, and he says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And so these disciples have essentially given everything to follow Jesus. They've laid down their occupations, their jobs, their, uh, you know, social position to follow this uh, one who they think is the Messiah, the teacher. And so they're following him, and they've already given this, like Jesus has given them this invitation. And so they've already signed up. He's cast a vision for their lives that they haven't seen before, and they've signed up for it. They don't know what that entails. When he says, follow me, they don't know what everything that's going to go down. They can't even dream about the steps that are going to happen. They don't see the Messiah dying. They don't see the resurrection, the new creation. They can't see the steps down the road. They just know that he, if he offered them an invitation. And they signed up for it, not knowing what it entailed, but knowing that whatever it was, it was worth it. And so this invitation has gone out, and they've given everything to do this. Now, us as believers, while we're not, you know, Jesus isn't standing right before us, We've all said yes in some ways to that same invitation because he's called us out of darkness into his kingdom, into his glorious light. And when we say yes to that invitation, we're not just saying yes to a fire insurance. We're saying yes to be conformed into the image of Christ. So it's saying, I am not who I was. I'm saying yes to the new creation. I am reborn The Holy Spirit dwells inside of me, and I am signing up to be conformed into the image of Christ. That is the invitation that we are extended and that we say yes to. So when you accept Jesus as your Savior, you're saying yes to being changed and transformed. And so we're all following Jesus on this this journey of being conformed into his image. And so the disciples... In verse 35, it's, Jesus says to them, he goes, On that day, the evening had come. He goes, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowds, they took him in their boat just as he was. Now, this journey is Jesus initiated. 
They have no idea what's about to hit them. They just know that he's taught in the kingdom and now they're going to expand their ministry onto the other side of the Sea of Galilee. So in their minds, they're going, it's looking good. Jesus is popular. He's a rising star. He's had a few run-ins with the Pharisees, but it's going good. He's healing people. Our ministry and influence is growing. This is looking good. The kingdom's going forth, baby. And so they're excited. They're going, yes, we're going to go to the next side of the Sea of Galilee, and we're going to take the ministry to more places. We're going to the next county over. We're, we're going to the next part of the country, the next state. We're international. It's growing. Our star is rising. This is looking good. And so they know that Jesus has invited them into the next thing, saying, hey, let's go across to the other side. So they have this confidence that Jesus is leading them, but they have no idea what's about to hit them. That they're thinking the next phase of their de development, the next phase of their growth is going to happen when they hit the shore. They're not thinking that Jesus is going to confront them when they're out on the ocean and they're going to have to realize and confront the man that they're dealing with, that they're, that they're following. And so this is a, a Jesus-initiated trip. And then he pulls them out and he goes, And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling. Now, if you're in a boat and water's coming in, it's not a good sign. But he was in the stern asleep on a cushion. I don't know how he, that's possible, but it says he was asleep. And they said they awoke him and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Now these are not uh, inexperienced fishermen. These are guys who have, they've spent their livelihood on that lake. So they're not panicking without real need to panic. Now, the Sea of Galilee is, it's, it's not actually that, I mean, the Sea of Galilee is kind of a, an ambiguous term. It's not that big. It's big, but it's not like ginormous. But it's, there are mountains along the ridges. And so what happens is wind comes up over the hills and then down into the lake. And so storms come very fast. So they're very fast and very violent. And so if you get caught out on the Sea of Galilee, and a storm comes, you're in trouble, especially if you're in a wooden boat. Like these are not big boats. These aren't, you know, the, the big uh, or, you know, freighters that we have out on this lake. These are like boats that they have nailed together, like an oversized jumbo rowboat. They, they are not big boats. And so they're out on a big storm with big waves and the water is coming into the boat. If I was them, I would be panicking. I mean, water is incredibly powerful. You know, we live on Superior, so we get to see it all the time. But one of the things that interested me when I went, moved to New Zealand was that the waves are always big. So if you go swimming in the ocean, you know, you can get chest high or, you know, over your head waves really easily. And if you get hit just right with one of those waves, it'll take you under and roll you around. So, you know, you go out and, and try to, you know, body surf the waves but if you don't time it right, you get rolled. And there was one time where I was out there and the waves were awesome. And I got caught in just the right position where I was in a little bit of a riptide. And so I had to basically time the waves to swim out so I could come back in a little bit, about five feet at a time. Because the waves were coming out so fast that I have to time it so I could get back in. 
And I remember just thinking like, you know, I always thought I was a good swimmer until you feel the power of the waves and you realize my swimming ability is actually minuscule compared to the power of these waves. Now, the good thing was I could have swum to the side. I got to the shore and everything was fine. I'm still alive, thank God. But the fact is that, the, I mean, the ocean is an incredibly powerful thing. It's something you don't mess with. And so these waves are coming in. And, you know, if the disciples were anything like me, we're going to start pointing fingers over who, who's responsible for this mess. I mean, Jesus, it's a Jesus-initiated trip. He's the one with, you know, the let's go over here idea, let alone that he's asleep in the midst of it. I mean, if I'm going to die, I want to at least know that the guy that's gonna, that got me in this position of death is sympathizing with the fact that I'm about to die. <laughs> and so, you know, they're crashing, and it's like realizing that they're in trouble. Their, their views of ministry and who God is are suddenly crashing way down around them because they realize they're going to die, and their position at the right hand of the Messiah is going down with them. No more international ministry. They're going to be dead, dead. And not only dead, they're, they're going to be known as the guys who drowned with that failed Messiah. He didn't even get killed by the Romans. He just drowned. You know, like if, you know, if we're going to go down, we might as well go down fighting the, the Roman occupiers, not drowning in a sea. Like how embarrassing, a bunch of fishermen following the Messiah die drowning. I mean, it's utterly humiliating, and they know they're going down. Water is coming in the boat. They're not going to get out of this. This is a bad situation. And so they come to him, and they go, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? In other words, it's Jesus, bro, at least pick up a bucket and help us get water out of the boat. <laughs> like, we're going to die. But even more so that it's, don't you care about us? Don't you know that we're going to die, where are you? You're the anointed one. You're the one that heals the lepers, yet we're going to drown in your sleeping. Where did you go? We're going to die. You've led us out here, and now it seems like you're completely out of the situation. You've completely checked out. You've left us on our own, and now we're going to die. Where are you? Don't you care about us? And at times in our lives as believers, we hit this point where Jesus has invited us out into a new thing, a new step. And we've stepped out and we've seen the promise of what he's offering. And we get out just enough out of the safety net. And then suddenly we, it's like, bam, and you get hit and you go, what just happened? We were talking about the next big thing. And suddenly I don't know if I'm going to be able to swim long enough. I'm going to drown. What happened? Trouble is at my doorstep. I am being pounded, and I don't know where you are. I thought you were with me, and now it feels like you're out of the situation. I don't hear your voice. I thought you cared about me, and now it seems like you're not there anymore, and I'm just getting beat following your leadership. What happened? Now, if, you're, if you follow the Lord long enough, these situations are going to happen again and again 
and again. It's called life. Now, I would suggest to you that part of the reason God does this is that when we get in these situations, it actually forces us to actually reevaluate where we're at, who do we turn to, and we are forced to cast ourselves 100% on the leadership of the Lord and become fully dependent upon Him. And in the midst of confronting our weakness and our pain and our inability to change things, we go, God, I don't know what's happening, but all I can do is throw my weak hope on you. And as we do that, he responds and we get transformed into the image of Christ. A little bit more. See, this isn't a, a situation that Jesus is not powerless in. He's not, he's not worried about the waves. He created the waves. He's not worried about the wind. He created the wind. He's not worried about the boat because he made the wood for the boat. And he holds it together because he desires it to be together. And we talk about being dependent upon God and our fears. Let's just be real. We don't think about the sun rising. We don't think about our next breath. We don't think about, you know, causing the, the stuff to grow, the corn to grow and the, the sun to come out and heat, all the things that are really actually kind of essential for our survival, we think are granted, but he gives it to us every day. He desires that we have that next breath. He desires that the sun would rise. It says in Job that he commands the sun to rise every morning. It rises because he wills it. And so we talk about our fears and being dependent upon God. Every moment of every day we're dependent upon God. We just don't recognize it. And so we have to force it, get out of our comfort zone and cast our fears on God and say, God, are you actually good? Are you actually trustworthy? Can, are you dependent? And actually, do you, do you desire my well-being? Because right now in the situation, I have no other options but to throw myself upon you. When I, when I first arrived in New Zealand, I had about three weeks of bliss. After finally arriving before, I started getting whacked. And it was like within a month of, of showing up and realizing it's like having the rug pulled out from under you. You're there, it's glorious, you know the Lord's called you there, and all of a sudden, your bottom's out, and you're going, I am only surviving because he's upholding me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm holding, he's holding me in his hand, and every month, he just puts out the next hand, and you just keep on walking, and you don't know how you're doing it. And so I have a little bit of a freak-out moment, because I, I show up, I've worked three years to get to New Zealand, show up. God is good. God is great. He is powerful. He just pulled the rug out, and I know he did it. You know, there are times where I'm like, God, you're a jerk. Like, <laughs> I love you, but man, I was not expecting that. And so you, you work up and you go, I don't understand where you're at. All I know is that you're in it. And learning to say, I don't understand how this is going to work out, but I'm casting my cares upon you because you hear me. I mean, who is the God that actually listens to our cares? 
He doesn't owe us anything, and yet he, he's willing to let us throw our fears and our, our worries and our cares upon him, and he, he listens and he cares for him, and he, and he talks to us. He bears our burdens. In the midst of pain and confusion, it's easy to lose our perspective and feel like God's abandoned us when reality is an, it's an opportunity to throw our faith at God and his character and his nature without seeing any fruit right away. So when the moments of when you don't hear his voice, where you don't feel his presence and you don't know where he's at, it's another moment where you get to rise up in your faith and say, God, I don't know where you're leading this. I don't know where you're going. I don't even know if it's going to work out for me. But I know that you're good and that you're kind and that you're faithful. And I'm, once again, I'm going to take that next step, trusting that you know what you're doing. You know, the funny thing about Psalm 23, it talks about the valley of the shadow of death. He leads the sheep into the valley of the shadow of death. But the thing about the valley of the shadow of death is you're not guaranteed to get out. I mean, they call it the valley of the shadow of death for a reason. You're not guaranteed that you're going to make it out alive. And so he leads the sheep there, and it's kind of one of those moments where you're going, you're leading me in a place that's pretty dangerous, and all I have is you right in front of me. This is uncomfortable, but I know that the shepherd is good, and I know that he's taking me to his house. And so I'll follow. says, he awoke and he rebuked the wind and said, see, and said to the sea, peace be still. And the wind ceased and it, there was a great calm. And he said to them, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to another, who is then this that even the winds and the sea obey him? I mean, if I was in their shoes, I would be pretty freaked out too. I mean, I imagine that they were going, Jesus, do something. Get a bucket. Help us out. Do something. Make, you know, find some way of getting the waves not to come into the boat. They, they were thinking about how God can bail them out. They were not thinking, Jesus, calming the storm. They're, they're looking at the, 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 the small, narrow solution of, please don't let us drown. They're not thinking about, the one who created the winds and the waves stepping up and exerting his authority over them and the winds and the waves recognizing his voice and stopping. It says there was great calm. Could you imagine going from a rough, foaming sea to utter still glass? Just one moment. I mean, I would be freaked out if I was them. Especially if you're Jewish, you know that only... The one who has power to control the, the weather is Yahweh. It was always attributed to him in the Old Testament. So for their rabbi to step in, suddenly he's ex exercising control over the elements is uh, a little unnerving. Jesus doesn't always give us the why behind the storm. You know, the storm isn't attributed to anybody in that passage. doesn't say that the Father sent it to test the hearts of the disciples. doesn't say that the, the demoniac who's about to get his butt handed to him, 
in the next passage is throwing a storm to try to prevent them. It doesn't say that it was because of the disobedience. It doesn't say because it's just a freak storm that came up. It doesn't attribute anybody to the storm. It just happens. And there's not even a tribute to why the storm happened. It just happened. Jesus doesn't answer why the storm happened. He responds to the situation and he exerts his dominion over it and says, why don't you have faith? I'm good, I'm kind, and I'm committed to you. I will get you through this. You know, it's funny that they mentioned Job. In Job 38... Uh, Job finally gets to talk to God. I mean, he's had his complaints and his, the why, I'm a a righteous man, all through the first 37 uh, chapters. And in verse 30, or chapter 38, God responds to Job. And it's not exactly how Job, I imagine, envisioned himself being responded to. Basically, the the Lord says to him, uh, brace yourself, because I'm going to, you know, make yourself a man, because I'm going to talk to you. And he doesn't actually even answer the why. He just gives, tells him who he is. He goes, I created the sea. I tell it where it can go. I command the sun to rise, the sun to set. Were you there when I created everything? I didn't think so, so shut up. He, he doesn't respond to the uh, why his kids are dead, why his health is gone, why his friends have turned on him, why his wealth is gone, why his, his wife is, is uh, cursing him doesn't answer any of the situations around his life. He just says, this is who I am. Would you believe that I'm good and I know what I'm doing? God doesn't always answer the question. Sometimes he will. A lot of the times where I have been the most mad at God, and I thought he's been completely ridiculous in his leadership, usually a few years later, I realized that he was completely ridiculously kind. Didn't see it in the moment. In fact, I was pretty mad. But his kindness came through. He knew what he was doing. He knew it was actually good for me. You know, he didn't listen to me. When the hardships comes or the the storms come, it's not hardship for the hardship's sake, but it's an opportunity for growth. And so every time when these situations come at me, you go, God, I don't understand what's going on. I'm going to love you in the moment. And I'm going to step out knowing that in 10 years, this might be necessary. I don't know, understand your purposes or your plans or why this is happening. And this might not be my fault. It's made, maybe it is sometimes your fault, our fault. But going, God, I don't understand why this is happening but I do know that you're kind. I do know that you're good. And I'm going to believe that you're doing something in me that actually forms and shapes me that I can respond to you with a greater measure of love and obedience. I don't understand everything. I don't see everything. I don't know why. But I do know that you're kind and that you're good. And if I say yes, I win. one of the things that I've had to be aware of a lot this year of going, I don't understand the way things work sometimes. This wasn't how I envisioned my first year here in New Zealand. But I do know that if this is a necessary journey to undergo so that I'll be useful when I'm 40, I'll undergo it. I'll step out in faith once again 
and believe that you know that your leadership is perfect and you know what you're doing. Now, just to clarify, New Zealand's great. I love it. But it's been a hard year. In each season, we have to have, learn how to let go and become dependent upon him. So sometimes dependency looks, looks like when you're, you have the good job, family, things are going well. You know, there's a lot of you guys that are young parents, and you're learning how to let the Lord lead you and become dependent upon how to parent your child or your children. You're figuring it out on the job training. But it looks differently. You've got a job, you have salaries, you guys are getting houses. It's a new season of life. Some of you are college students and you're entering a new season of life. Some of you are having your grandchildren and you're in a new season of life or you're retiring. Some seasons you're more prosperous than others. Some seasons are you have bad health or you have good health or things are hard and you don't know why. Sometimes they're really good. The Lord will lead you in seasons of plenty and seasons of lack and seasons of blessing and seasons where you're not quite so blessed. But his leadership is good and his leadership is perfect. And my encouragement to you today is ask God, go, God, how can I actually throw myself upon you and learn to become more dependent upon you? I think one of the greatest weaknesses to the Western church is that we have become so comfortable in our ability to do things on our own that we fail to recognize how much we actually need God to break in, how much we are truly dependent upon him. Like you think about it, even, even economic security is just a flash in the pan. Like none of us have the power to actually affect a national economy or to figure it out or to make it work. That's in some ways completely out of our control. And so we can take steps, we can be wise with our money, we can be good businessmen, but ultimately we can't control the, the, big, the big things. And yet God is good and is kind, and we know that his leadership is perfect. So my encouragement to you today is ask God, God, how can I be more dependent upon you? How can I let you speak to me in the midst of the storm, or how can you prepare me to handle the storm when it comes. Because if you're not in it now, it will come later. Guarantee you. And when you get through the next one, in a few years, another one will come around. It's just life. It's all working towards making you look like his son. God's a really good leader, and he really likes who he is. And he's committed to putting his glory in you and making you look like him. Glory to God. Amen.